Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. This hour, the third in a series of Connecticut poets in conversation around a bonfire in my backyard. It all started with the poet and artist Suli Net. At the end of our conversation, I asked her which poet she wanted me to interview next. Andrew Dean Wright. He is an amazing poet, and he's so good with words. I am such a fan. So Andrew Dean Wright, absolutely, 100%. That's my vote. And if Sulinet tells you to do something, well, you do it. So at the end of my conversation with Andrew Dean Wright, I asked who he wants to hear from next. Olusanya Bay. Uh, do you know Patrick Williams? Oh, Patrick Rico Williams, author yes. of Jesus is Black? Yes. yes. The other day, <laughs> he told me, he was like, there's two love poets in the area that make me not want to do love poems. And he's like, you and Olu. <laughs> so. Olu Sanya Bay. Olu Sanya Bay. So let's jump right in. Olu Sanya Bay is a community organizer, a mindfulness instructor, and a teaching artist in Hartford. And as you'll hear, he's got an interesting relationship with calling himself a poet. He told me that he dabbled in poetry as a teenager for the same reason that I picked up a guitar, because it was a way to talk to girls. And then he could tell that he was really good at communicating this way. But when he was in his late 20s, the mother of his daughter decided to leave him and move away, taking their daughter with her. It was then when he started writing poetry as a way to sort through his feelings. Before we get into it, heads up, our conversation about poetry will be joined at times by the poetry of the city in the form of sirens and airplanes and horns. Here's a poem from Olusanya to get us started. Because you're as fresh as the very first breath of spirit that gave life and inspiration to this flesh, every time I breathe in, I smell you. And the mere scent of you makes me high. Is there any wonder why, even when you're not here, the faint aroma of things like cinnamon or honey-colored roses bring back memories of you that transform my mental and my physical atmosphere? I mean, it's like I'm standing here and I feel my mouth begin to water as I remember the taste of your love lingering like liquid amber on my tongue. I saw an Aunt Newt a celestial water of life, the proverbial fountain of youth, feeling forever young. I drink you to absorb the energy of your love's divine. I feel a hunger for your touch and to touch you, to feel the warmth of your flesh as it presses against mine, to feel the fit of our form together, our natures as they rise, flooding our bodies with waves of pleasure. The feel of my life force as it flows out of me and into you, into your world, into your womb of cosmic becoming. And this most natural experience revealed to me that what I thought was a duality was in essence a polarity. I lost 
we lost ourselves in each other and found out the reality is we are one. Do you think that you need to have feelings or desire for someone in order to write a love poem? Because I currently don't have anyone I'm lusting after, so I'm not writing poems about love. But of course, love is all around me in different ways. And I, I'd like to think that in a way, if I were to start writing a love poem, and maybe I, it would I, manifest that love, So, so the I answer say. to that is absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> because the majority of the love poems I have written have been written while I was not in a relationship. In other words, I wasn't experiencing love, you know, in terms of relationship with myself. But I was experiencing love. So, so I'm in relationship with this entire universe. And so in terms of love coming from my relationships, I experience that all the time. The, the love that I, that I think we're alluding to is more like those intimate relationships that you share with a significant other that I think you can only share in a healthy manner and properly when you know how to experience love when you're all by yourself. Have you ever written a love poem to yourself? Um, now, the, the answer to that question would, would be no until you just ask that question. That's why I love how you ask questions. So the answer would be no. Like, I never wrote a poem thinking I was writing it to myself. But when I write poems, and I'm writing love poems, and how I see the universe, and how I see myself in relationship to other human beings, is that everybody's just like another me. Not me, meaning they're expressing this person called Obusanya, but me in that we are expressing the exact same thing, you know, uh, which is why I say to people, you know, have you ever noticed that when you look at some, when you look somebody in their eyes, you see a reflection of you? To me, that's just like a clue. That's like the, the universe and this divine design that I see behind the universe. That's just another way that it's telling you that everybody you see is just another reflection of you. And if you're open to the experience that they're willing to share with you, you'll learn a lot about who you are. My understanding of myself comes a lot from how other individuals see me and them sharing their experience of me with me. That's one of the things that poetry has, has allowed me to experience um, in that when I'm writing my poetry, I don't think that, so, so one, I'm, I, I, I just said writing my poetry, but it's not mine. It's like stuff that comes through me when I allow myself to be open and receptive. Sometimes when I think about the writing process, I think I want it to be pure. It has one shot to get out of me. And then the producer in me wants to go back and edit, mess with it, add to it, amend it, until I guess I'm ready to let it go. How does that strike you when you're writing? Is it something pure and that's it and it's out? Or do you edit? What's your, I guess the question is, what's your relationship so, with editing? So I, I always edit because my poems will constantly change form. Not as much now as they used to because when I first started performing poetry, I, I'll say it like that, because it was slams, you had to memorize the poetry. You can't because the paper's kind of like considered a prop. So you can't take a piece of paper on. 
stage with you. Uh, so you have to memorize your poems. And I was a lot younger and it was a lot easier for me to memorize poems. But when I'm writing my poetry, uh, I tell people it's like the woman jumps up on the table and flashes like her skirt up and winks at me and then jumps down and runs away and I chase her. And that's how my poems hit me. They come and they, I become obsessed with them. They're like these thoughts that usually will probably come from a conversation I have with somebody or from whatever, because I, I, I can be inspired by a lot of things like leaves rustling in trees. And then it obsesses me and I have to kind of like get it out on paper. Whereas if I think about writing a poem, if I decide I want to sit, like I'm just going to sit down and write a poem. It's, it's almost painful, <laughs> you know? And then also, you know, the, the way most of my poetry comes after I write it, one, it, it's like pretty effortless because it's, it's like these thoughts that are running around in my head. So, so they come out pretty effortless and I read them and I go, wow, I'm not really that deep. And so that's when I first started recognizing that what was going on. So I would do slams. I would do my poetry. I'd win a lot, like, early, you know, and this is when I was meeting a lot of the poets who I adore now, like Ayaba and Frederick Douglass and uh, Lockdown and Talame C and Tahut Nine and all these like, just like beautiful, creative individuals, you know, um, so people started identifying me as a poet. And I'd be like, mm, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'd call myself a poet. I, I, I feel more like, um, like a poem in progress. And again, because I was writing poetry as a cathartic experience originally, poetry has always had like a kind of transformative effect on me. Like the writing of it transforms me, listening to it transforms me. And when I say listening to it, I'm not always talking about somebody who has written a poem. I'm, I'm talking about just people talking and hearing what I came to recognize as their poetry, even though they might not recognize themselves as a poet. And looking up the root word of poetry, which is poesis, which means the coming forth of and the early definition alluded to spirit, like the coming forth of spirit. It's my unique spirit as Olusanya coming forth and my ability to communicate it to another individual and share my gift. And so that's my art or the state of my being, if you're going to define me as something related to poetry, you know, it would be more like a poem in progress, you know, like. I'm a blank piece of paper that every now and then this being that I identify as the creator takes me in its hand and, and decides it wants to express something to this universe and it allows me to express it for it, you know, if I receive it properly, you know, if I keep myself open and receptive enough. So I would probably refer to myself more as like a dishwasher. You know, like, like I'm a glass that has to be filled every now and then with some poetry. And if I, if I wash the glass well, and I'm washing it so that when the creator pours its message into me, 
there's not a bunch of dirt and sediment and all of that nonsense in the glass that's that's probably me identifying with myself as opposed to identifying with this beautiful message that's coming through me, then that allows me to step aside and get out of the way and let this message come through. And so if I'm in front of an audience, how they receive the poetry is how I interpret if I've done a good job. And again, going back to like brothers and, and men feeling like they can't do love poetry at open mics. You know, I felt like there was, there was a lack that made me want to do it even more, but also made me recognize that this poetry might not be well received, especially since a lot of the times I'm slamming and, and I'm trying to get points for poetry that doesn't have all the, uh, might not have all the requisite drama and be talking about all the hot button topics, you know, that people want to hear about because, you know, I'm, all I'm talking about is love. But the reality is, is I kind of thought it was missing. So it meant like my poetry might miss. You know, if, if people aren't really wanting to say this to each other or, or aren't really expressing it to each other, then maybe they don't really want to hear it. And so when I would express it, and then afterwards people would come up to me, and particularly women, and express to me how much my poetry meant, then that, that, was, that was all I needed to keep doing it. Because I don't necessarily do poetry because I want to get a certain response from an audience or whatever. It has, it has, I don't know if this sounds selfish or vain or whatever, my poetry has a lot more to do with me and my growth as a human being and my personal development and what I'm trying to communicate, not just to an audience, but to me. I started writing because I was trying to figure out what was going on in me. There's a lot of self-reflection going on. You know? It's interesting because you've talked about your identity as a poet, your identity as Olusanya, your identity as part of the universe, as a spirit having a human experience. And it makes me think about the first time I ever saw you, which was maybe seven or eight years ago. It was at the Iron Poets competition at Trinity. And they announce you, you walk in, you have this confidence, a sort of presence that is beautiful and bright. And you get up and of course, from memory, you recite this amazing poem and I am forgetting to breathe. I am lost in everything you're saying. I am so present with you, which is a gift unto itself. And when you finish, the room erupts and you just saunter <laughs> off stage. And I was thinking that is a poet. Not only the, the poem was beautiful, sure, but your presence to me felt like you were a poet all the way through. And so I wonder when you hear me say this and relive this memory with you, do you think, well, f yeah, I'm a poet, <laughs> or is there something else that you react? So, so, okay, yeah, I'm a poet, but it's more like, yeah, I'm a living, breathing work of art. And what we just did was share an experience that to me 
is the foundation and the basis of our relationship as human beings. Like when we meet each other, it should be like going to the Metropolitan Museum of Art or, or the Louvre or to a great dance performance. Like one of the brothers I grew up with is in Chicago and he has started this dance company called Deeply Rooted. It's about to do this performance at this beautiful auditorium they just built in Chicago for him. And I wish I could be there because his dance performances are so moving and so like, ah, you know, that I just wish I could be there to experience it because, because I know that I would leave there understanding that human beings, when they come together and express themselves, their art, who they are, like how art thou, you know, um, that it's a beautiful thing and that we all walk away better from the experience of it. That was Hartford-based poet Olu Sonia Bay. We recorded our conversation back in November of 2022. When we get back. To invoke the energy of all your beautiful faces, the magical ways in which you express the many faces, the facets, the multiplicity of this all I see. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today, another installment of our Poets Around the Fire series with Hartford's own Olu Sonia Bay. Here he is with his next poem. Okay, so now I'm going to start. So again, I, I, I like to write mainly love poetry. So I'm going to start with one of my love poems. And then I'm going to share another one that's, that's more like me just wanting to let people know that I do know how to write poems about other topics. This one is called The Measure of Me. O en wo o lo mare lo ju lo ju. O umwo awa ayele nu. Isoro orun. Ewaba mi toro yishe. Isoro orun. Isoro orun. Ewaba wa tunoro yishe. Isoro orun. Looking at God in heaven, looking at humans on earth. Heavenly spirits, descend and make this ritual a success for me. Heavenly spirits, descend and make this ritual a success for us. Mother, 
earth, she, yang. The rhythm of your movement, your biological and celestial nature. It is in you I find the womb to give birth to a space, to a place for some time to begin. Time to intone the beautiful phrases, to invoke the energy of all your beautiful phases, the magical ways in which you express the many faces, the facets, the multiplicity of this all I see. This always changing, never ending creation while you forever remain the same and maintain the celestial cycle of the creative spirit in your rhythm. Mm, that rhythm, that wave-like rhythm of your buttocks as they rock, keeping time like tick-tock back and forth while you walk in a wave-like, wave-like, like my mother's hips, water, omibu, the deep splashing water, ojukbu, the deep splashing rain, omi aribu sola, Water, one who makes the deep a place of honor. Abiyamo afiri soju ona, one whose vagina is a road of passage. Abiyamo abirin wele wele, the nursing mother of gentle strides. Yes, my mother walks and talks with a rhythm like the ocean. Oguru bada, oguru bada, oguru bada. Yes, my mother's hips are wave-like in motion. And your honey breath as you inhale and exhale. It whispers in my ear as I seek to move in harmony with the rise and fall of your life cycle, the beat of your pulsing heart in tune or in time with you because I realize your rhythm, mm, that rhythm is given motion to the cycles of eternity and harmony with you is the true measure of a man. I mean, speaking, my word, my bond, my life, my measure as a man, it is important that when I measure my time, it has been well spent in harmonious movement with the mother, the earth, she, yin, balanced to my yang, the sacred synchronization of sun and moon, heavenly bodies on a horizontal plane, moving in tune, shall come. Wait, go slow, not too soon. Om, cling, big bang. I, papi, yeah, and you, mommy, are the high priest and high priestess of this most sacred alignment. We set the tone, the tune, the sun, the moon, the heavenly rhythm, mm. we set a universe in motion. Yeah, earth, she yin, my sacred woman. I want to spend some quality time with you so that you can measure the man that I am as I move in harmony to your rhythm, to your motion, to the undulating waves of your ocean. Ogurug bada, ogurug. Bada, ogurug, bada, that rhythm, mm, that rhythm. Ia mi oshun, ati isoda orun, awiba, awaba mi toro yeshe. Oshun, ati osoda orun, ashe, 
Ashe, Ashe, To, To, To. <laughs> well, Lusanya Bay, thank you. You make me wonder if reincarnation is real and you can come back in the next life as a woman. Would that please you? Well, it probably, so yeah, it would. It would because I think that I can write some of the poetry I write because I, I kind of feel like I tap into my feminine side. And also because of just my personal view and how I see women in terms of this universe, which again, I see as an expression of the most high or the creator, that women to me are like the highest idea of the creator made complete. Like my idea of the creator is expressed most beautifully and most authentically through women and how they have been created and what they represent in terms of this universe. You know, so if I could come back, okay, can we qualify this though? <laughs> I don't want to come back in this culture no. because this culture, I think the way that this, this culture identifies gender is so limited and, and I, don't, I don't want to say wrong because it is rooted in, in, in what I consider to be the principle of gender. It's just that they're twisting it in ways that, that have nothing to do with gender as a principle, but have more to do with individuals trying to become comfortable in their bodies, which, which is not necessarily the same thing. So when I had, so say, if you, if you say the term to me, transgender, then one that you're saying to me that we're, we're getting past the point where we have to talk about terms like male and female and masculine and feminine, you know, but if we're talking about those terms, then we have to deal with the principle of gender when we deal with those terms. And that has nothing to do with how any human being wants to identify themselves or what their reality is, you know, in terms of how they are expressing themselves as a human being. That's, again, two different things, you know, and it's like we're mixing it up. It's like, you know, because we're not, we're not dealing necessarily with the principles, you know. So I, I, I like to ask people, like, what is, what, what is like, um, if you ask somebody, whether it's children or adults, what is six times 10 oranges? The majority of them will answer 60, which is not the right answer. <laughs> the right answer is 60 oranges. Because if you don't take the principle into account, then you could be talking about anything in terms of that function or whatever that you just went through. So if you talk about gender in terms of, of the principle, then it really doesn't have anything to do with sexuality. Yeah. Right, I think, especially, you know, when I was coming out as a gay woman in the 1990s, I would get confused for, so you want, I actually had a therapist and she, I came out and I said, I'm a, I'm a lesbian. And the therapist said, so how long have you wanted to be a boy? Okay, next therapist. <laughs> um. You're hearing my conversation with Olu Sanya Bey. He joined me around a fire in my backyard back in November of 2022. After the break. 
Parasites, politicians, and priests. Ticks, politics, con men in lotus poses, doing parlor tricks, turn last suppers into daily feasts on the flesh of our innocence. Digested in the belly of this beast, you are what you eat. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Olu Sonia Bay is a Hartford-based poet and the third in our series of conversations with poets around a fire in my backyard. Here he is, introducing his next poem. Now this, this poem I wrote, uh, there, there was a little, a little bit of ego involved in this poem because part of it was me just responding to how I felt about people thinking I, all I could write was a love poem. But again, I do think this is a love poem. It's just a different type of love poem. And it was written when I saw a news report of this young Caucasian woman who had gotten abducted in broad daylight. It actually had been caught on a video film, on videotape at the car wash that she was abducted from, but nobody was paying attention to the videotape. So nobody saw her get abducted. And they eventually found her, her body later on. And when I saw this news report, it was at a time my daughter, I think, might have been about three years older than this girl at the time. And so it struck me because it could have been my daughter, you know, and I felt like, I love my daughter. Like, you have no idea. <laughs> what the birth of my daughter meant to me and what she means to me, you know. So at this poem, it made me really angry. And so this is like one of my angrier poems, but I think it's still coming from a place of love. Holly wants to go to California. Hollywood. If only Holly could, but she can't. The headline read, Little Carla wanted to be a star. Well, now she is. Although I'm quite sure the drama that put her name up in lights was not her idea of making it in showbiz. A sadist ended her surreal life while most of us looked the other way. Hey, did you see my big fat obnoxious fiance the other day? While Carla was being videotaped, a prequel, volume one, being raped and murdered, the sequel, no one paid attention to this latest episode of Daylight Abductions. Her reality had not made it to prime time yet. So when she cried a, a child's tears due to her fears of dying, not one of us heard her crying. Our eyes were wide shut, glued to our TV sets. Please listen, beloved. The more we tune into these so-called reality shows, the more out of focus, the more out of touch with the reality of life and death we get. So once again, in broad daylight, because in a blind society, pedophiles, perverts, and rapists no longer need to wait for the dark of night, we lost another Earth daughter. How many of our moons will have to vanish before we stem this violently rising tide? How many wells will run dry before we become mindful of our water? Instead of mindlessly allowing our attention to be monopolized by reality TV, 
Pied Pipers leading our children to slaughter, while we, like junkies, sharing needles, continue to transmit deadly strains of communicable disease and disorder in epidemic proportions. Just how blind can America be? Boob tools babysitting our children. If your choice is not to protect and respect instead of neglect the lives of your children, next time be pro-life. Choose abortion. Before filling your head with these illusions you call reality, practice a little caution. Try tearing your eyes from the tell lies to your vision. Take a moment to be circumspect. Our children are not born to be the stars of our sick society's dramatic tragedies. They are the sons we always wanted. So raise your eyes, keep your head to the sky so that we may see them shine. Holly wants to go to California. Hollywood, if only Carla could, but she can't. It's time to stop being a sycophant. Cut. Let's pick it up at Act Tune, scene one. Parasites, politicians, and priests, ticks, politics, con men in lotus poses, doing parlor tricks, turn last suppers into daily feasts on the flesh of our innocence. Digested in the belly of this beast, you are what you eat. Fast from fantasies of walks upon water, walk a mile upon our mother earth, fear her agony of defeat. You human plague upon the planet, you try to command it with your false sense of self. You lie like a rug, stained by filthy souls with dirty souls, you should be hung up and beat. They say music soothes the savage beast, so come little drummer boy, a newborn king to see. Come little drummer girl, I have a song for you to sing. The gifts you bring have been yours since birth. Yet you keep following three blind mice, parasites, politicians and priests, blue bloods, bleeding you for all your worth, like diabolical short order cooks, flipping your blessing into a curse. Fascists, farmer wives, cut off the sacred cow's ear, sell it to King Louis Vuitton, makes a silk purse, sells it for a profit. The rich get richer, the poor get prison, industrial complexes. Now who? Well, stop it, not politicians, false prophets, separage of citizens, shape-shifted into chattel, bought it to international bankers like herds of headless cattle. Haven't you heard? This isn't poetry, it's spoken word, written. Tales of snakes with forked tongues waiting in the grass to bite that ass, ignore their words, listen to their tales go rattle. Prepare yourself for the mystic's battle or forfeit the lives of your young who've been bitten. Oh, say, can you see? Star-spangled banners become symbols of society's death and decay, forever hung at half-mast. What would our ancestors say? Why do we fast from their food of thought, slowly dying, because we keep on dining on FDA-approved fables? So busy trying to keep up with the Joneses, we don't even read the labels. How come no one's trying to see what these necro nutritionists are bringing to the table? No bread and fish, which is my favorite dish. They have us tripping on the flesh of mad cows, genetically modified fruits, water from acid rain. Ask yourself, whose fault society's pain? All of these speeches of, on democracy 
empty words filled with hypocrisy, and we, in our silence, promote imperialistic kleptocracy. As a result, in the Creator's plan, we have become the foreign policy. Stop the cameras. Scene two, act three. The buck stops. The bus stops. The bus stops. The bus stops at bus stops. Eyes still sleepy watch clocks on top of skyscrapers that fall short. Time is measured, seldom treasured. I'm late, I'm late for a very important gate. Finding my destiny, I just don't want to lose my job. And that's the fact. Finding fate is a pipe dream up in smoke. Comedians crack jokes while Coke makes crack fiends the choice of a new generation. Thought seeds continue to seek penetration through walls of mental artifacts. The walls between us, the walls between us all must fall. And yet still, we rush hours into minutes trying to make sense. But we won't spend a second to be still and make some sense of this self before it's going, going. The bus stops at bus stops. Sleepy eyes watch our minds race. Run, run, run while we wait to be going, going, gone, insane. That's what happens when the intelligence of the Most High is sent to the back of the bus or the human brain. <laughs> See now. When I read that poem after I wrote it, I was like, nah, nah, that poem definitely didn't come from me. That poem definitely didn't come from me. It came from a serious level of anger because I was really hurt. There was a period of my life when I would have to say that I was probably prejudiced, like seriously prejudiced. I would even say racist. I know pe some people argue that supposedly people of color can't be racist because we're not in power, but I would argue that everybody, depending on circumstances, are in power over other individuals, you know, at different points in time. And if, you're, and if your desire to exercise that power is based on racism or whatever, then you're racist. You know, it's, it's you know, like, just like a bully. You know, like when I was talking to kids about bullying, I said, where do you learn bullying from? They're like, I don't know, where? I said, your house. Like your parents bullied you, you know, you live in a nation that has a president as a bully, like most pre most of our presidents have been bullies, you know, um, because America, technically, if you think about it, we've been a nation for, I don't know, 200 and something years. And out of that 200 something years, we've literally been at war like 92 percent of the time. So, you know, we're 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 more we're a warmongering nation. We're bullies. You know, and, and our kids learn it and we wonder why, you know, that they bully each other in school, you know, and, and a lot of it is, you know, we're not paying attention to how we've been conditioned at a cult as a culture and the fact that, you know, at, at different times, you know, like when people talk about stuff like uh, entitlement and privilege, I'm like, well, yeah, I don't know anybody. I don't know any human being who haven't who hasn't experienced privilege at different points of their life and hasn't exercised it for their benefit. You know, now, now whether or not they've been paying attention, whether 
them exercising their privilege was to the detriment of another, that's another question, you know, and we, and that's a whole nother discussion. But privilege is not something, you know, like when people say, well, you know, that's white privilege. I'm like, no, you're using, you're, you're, you're using that to cover up stuff, you know, that you should actually identify. Don't call it privilege because everybody has privilege. And you can say white privilege or black privilege or whatever. But usually when, when you say stuff like that, what you're doing is you're covering up what you really don't want to say. If you say that a young black man going to a courtroom and being sentenced to uh, 15 years in prison for stealing a candy bar out of a gas station while a young white man who rapes a girl is given probation and you call that white privilege. No, that's not white privilege. That's called criminal injustice, criminal use of the justice system. Identify it for what it is so you can deal with it. Don't call it white privilege because then you're not going to deal with what actually just happened because what you're identifying it as, that's not what just happened. <laughs> and so these were ingredients. These were things flowing in your mind as you wrote this poem. Because there's a lot of things that we watch going on and, you know, like we're fascinated with TVs and videos and reality TV and stuff like that. So a lot of times we're glued to our TV sets, but we're paying attention to all the wrong things. So in other words, you're at a car wash where you have security cameras and you obviously have them for a reason, but the person in the car wash, they were paying attention to something other than what they probably should have been that would have possibly prevented this girl from being killed. And then the way that people reacted to it was another thing because little girls, women disappearing in America is probably like one of the most prevalent things that goes on in this country that nobody pays attention to. And again, as somebody who, who like has a high respect and value for women, that disturbs me. This is not me dismissing like the different things that we will pay attention to. It's just me trying to put it in context and, and get us to see that we might be paying attention to some of the wrong things. And I'll say it uh, because it's something that as a black man in America, I experienced so I can speak on it. You know, it's not me speaking on stuff I've seen on TV and have formed an idea about I'm living this every day. We'll complain about police officers innocently killing us in our communities or whatever, while at the same time ignoring that in proportion, we are killing ourselves in our community more and we're not responding to it in the same way. You know, now I'm not saying excuse the police officer, I'm saying respond to you killing us. If, if, if you're doing that too, like, can, can we get some response here too, along the same lines? Because it is an issue. Like black children dying innocently, black men, black women dying innocently. Yeah, that's, that's an issue, regardless of who's doing it. And, and don't focus over here and not focus over here, especially if in reality, when we look at the math, it's not in proportion then your focus is all off. But I get it because we're reacting to 
this program in our culture that has us, you know, pointing fingers at each other, you know, and blaming each other for all the ills that are going on in our society, you know, as opposed to trying to really put our finger, like instead of pointing your fingers at each other and blaming each other, try to put your finger on the problem. And then after you put your finger on the problem, extend a helping hand. See, these are much better ways to use this thing we call a hand, you know, as opposed to all of this nonsense, you know, pointing, you know. And then again, our relationships would probably change. You know, it would probably, like the dynamic and the result of how we relate to each other would change drastically. Um, so it's like, what are we paying attention to? And, and in, this, in that poem, that was a lot of it for me. Like, what are we really paying attention to? And like, why are we missing the point? We seem to be fascinated by all the wrong things. You know what I'm saying? We're voting for politicians who literally, if we watch them campaign, they're literally, the, the majority of their campaigns are them pointing out how bad a candidate each other is. <laughs> and then we vote for them. And even sadder, the reality is the things they're pointing out are probably true. These are not probably people that really represent our best interests because again, they're taking advantage of the nonsense. They're taking advantage of this habit we have of going from one extreme to the next, this or that, and never really being open to a point of view or an idea that isn't in agreement with ours. As if we always have to agree with each other in order to relate to each other in a healthy and positive manner, which has got to be the most ridiculous thing in the world, because if you can get 10 individuals to sit down in a room with each other and agree on two things, <laughs> but the chances of getting two individuals sit down and agree on a bunch of things is very slim. So the idea that we can only get along with people who we're in agreement with is ridiculous. And if that's gonna be the prerequisite for us being able to cooperate with each other and work with each other and relate to each other in a healthy manner, then that's ne just never gonna happen. But that's literally, I believe, what's going on in our culture is if we're not in agreement, we don't want to really deal and relate to each other. And so we're not. But again, the reality is we really are relating to each other. That's one of the things that I think COVID brought so beautifully home is we're connected. We're related to each other. Don't act like your actions don't affect everybody around you. That's just not true. Keep that in mind when you, again, when you come out of your house, you know, what effect do you want to have on the people around you? What do you want to represent to this universe? If in fact you are a contagion, <laughs> what do you want to be the effect of your contagion? And I think we are, I think we are contagions to each other. We can't think that we can come in the presence of each other and not have an effect. Well, that leads me perfectly to my final question, Olusanya Bay, which is, who do you think should be next around this fire? Who is that poet? Well, so because it's it's Hartford poets, it has to be Hartford poets. I mean, so, my heart is in Hartford, so. 
Yeah, so then I'm going to have to say Frederick Douglass knows. Why? You know, um, when I think of poets, when it comes to the craft of writing poetry, he's one of the best poets I know, one of the best writers I know, period. You know, because he's like, you know, my my younger brother from another mother. He's one of the first individuals I met doing poetry. And so we've gone through this whole experience as poets and writers together, um, but also as like, you know, family. I've been to I've been to his family outings. He's been to my family outings. You know, we've argued with each other's family. You know, when you argue with each other's family, you know, you know you're down when you're having arguments with each other's family. <laughs> But it's, you know, it's like, you know, he's, he's, he's so much a part of, of my experience, you know, if, if I'm going to say as a poet, you know, identifying myself as a poet, someone who writes poetry and, and this whole experience we're talking about, you know, um, he's definitely a part of this poem in progress called Olusanya, you know. Well, the, uh, the chimes agree. Is, is is that the That's do seven. they do it on the hour yeah they oh, do yeah they do they do that was olusanya bay audacious is always lovingly produced by me khalil rahman jessica severin de martinez meg fitzgerald meg dalton and katie talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. And you can hear those other fireside conversations with poets Suli Nett and Andrew Dean Wright at ctpublic.org slash audacious or wherever you get your podcasts. And speaking of podcasts, we'd love to add a few more Apple podcast reviews to our collection. So in honor of Olusanya, Andrew, and Suli Nett, we invite you to search for Audacious and Apple podcasts and write us a review in the form of a poem. We'll accept haikus, prose, sonnets, limericks, elegy, no, not elegies. Well, not yet, please. Just Google Apple Podcasts, Audacious with Kion Wolf, and tap away. We might even read your poetic review on the air. And your prose is always welcome with me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kion Wolf. Or you can send an email to audacious at ctpublic.org. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.